The very first thing I would do is I would look at my data. I'd benchmark what our current trend is. What's your current trend for acquisition? What's your current trend for loss? And then create your intentional strategy to start securing new debtors and have a goal. Welcome to episode three of the new Center for Generosity podcast. I'm Mitzi Schaefer, a consultant with GSB Fundraising and your host for today's episode. On each episode, we work to equip generosity leaders by tackling a single topic related to growing generosity to your organization. Together, we answer the three most critical questions for success. We are in the middle of a six-week series on how nonprofit leaders can be donor-first. And if you're not sure what it means to be donor-first, go back and listen to our initial um, podcast that dropped uh, in early August. But today, GSB partner Mike Ward is back with us to talk about donor acquisition. Hey, Mike. Hey, it's good to be with you, Mitzi. Uh, it's an important topic and one that sometimes we don't think about, but we need to we need to pay attention to it and take a look at it. And uh, I'm ready to dig in. Awesome, that's great. So first, Mike, let's tell them a little bit about you because we didn't do that on our first episode. Mike is the fourth partner in a 45 year history for GSB fundraising. Mike began his relationship with the firm as a client for 12 years as he served as the vice president of advancement for Novus Way Ministries in Arden, North Carolina. He is a popular speaker at conferences in the areas of annual fund, campaign, congregational partnership, major donor development, and more. His first book, Abundance, Creating a Culture of Generosity, was published and released by Fortress Press in January of 2020, where it became the publisher's number one title for 2020. Um, Mike is a beekeeper and manages between 12 to 15 hives per year. And I know he also likes to give honey out as a little treat to his clients. Um, And I think we even um, might talk about that a little bit when we talk about uh, donor recognition. So hint, hint for a future episode. So Mike. I was hoping we'd have a full beekeeping episode sometime. Oh yeah, we should do that. (laughs) That would be fun. We could do all the ways in which uh, a bee colony is how we should be treating our donors. Oh yes. Well, and your book dives into that pretty well also. But that's not the topic for today. Today, we should be talking about donor acquisition because I think that's why people who are paying attention tuned in today. So we should probably give them what they listen are listening for. Yes, that's exactly right, Mike. So let's, stop, let's start with our question number one. Um, why do we need to always, and I love that we have that word always in there, be acquiring new donors? Well, for every organization... Donors will die or donors will lapse every year. I I looked it up. The the standard in nonprofits is that the average retention rate is only 45% for donors, which means we're replacing over half of our donors every year. Now, I do a lot of work with church organizations, church-related organizations. They do experience a a higher donor retention rate, but they still are dealing with donor death, donors lapsing, donors changing priorities. And so um, 
working on keeping a donor from lapsing will be a topic for another show, but we've got to be working at it every year because we can't afford to lose half of our donors each year. Ultimately, we've got nothing left. And so um, we've got to replace at least 20% or, or more in order to, to keep ourselves strong. And um, we, need to, we need to be replacing them across donor levels. We need, we need to replace major, major donors. Oftentimes we grow a donor to that point, but sometimes we can invite people in as a major donor right from the beginning. And we need to be uh, bringing in our, our more average donors to help sustain the organization with, with those that are the multitude of gifts that help to keep us strong. So that's what we, we have to keep acquiring donors. Otherwise, someday we won't have any. Great. Um, so question two, which um, is where those actionable steps are gonna be really important tactics. What are some tactics that our listeners can use to acquire these new donors? So, so I'm going to break this down between larger donors and then, you know, smaller gift donors. And, and I'm going to let you discern organizationally what a big gift is for you and what a small gift is for you. Um, the tactics won't really change. It's, it, but, you know, for, to, to bring in larger donors, you know, you're probably not going to do that with a spray and pray method of direct mail just to a, to a mailing list. Um, that's going to be much more relational. But the good news is we have relationships. Um, the, the folks who are already being generous to organizations, they don't want to be the only generous person to your organization. They would love for other people to join them. So maybe, maybe one of your major donors, one of your board members hosts a home gathering where they invite their friends and, and you as the nonprofit leader come in and share the program with them and invite them to give. We've done that with in group settings where there's even been a challenge gift that, that if everybody that's in attendance makes a gift, usually it's the host will give an extra, you know, five or $10,000 as a way to, to show and demonstrate that passion for the organization. We've also had this happen in one-on-one -on -one settings where, um, you know, the largest gift I was ever part of, a board member invited their best friend um, to dinner and, and this person never gave before and gave an upper six-figure gift, upper level six-figure gift to the organization because he wanted to be part of the story and his friend introduced him to the story. So, so for larger donors, I think it's very relational and I call it networking your way to this next gift. And so you, you work your network. Um, a, a question I would always ask a donor is who else do you know that you think would like this organization and we should be inviting to it. And, and there you'll be shocked at how excited people are to, to share this with you. For, for smaller level donors, I mean, you can buy a list. Um, I would certainly prefer a list that's relevant. Um, but, but I, think, I think continuing on with, you know, having, having your donors nominate friends. Um, I once, as, as I was doing work for, a, uh, for the camps, we would have people bring their church directories and they would circle the people that they thought would be, you know, interested in, in, the, in the projects that we were doing. Um, you can use now in today's world, you can use some social media and crowdfunding platforms to get those smaller donor first gifts, but, but use a platform to get these acquisition gifts where you get the information on the donor so that you can follow up and continue to tell your story. Some of these platforms, 
you know, you might get a bunch of $20 gifts. You might get the name of your donor, but you never get the address, phone number, or other contact information, or they all come in anonymously. So um, if I'm using crowdfunding, which has its place, do it in a way that you're able to acquire the, the contact information for people. So again, it's networking your way. I, I mean, again, you can buy a list of people you don't know, and you, you might get a little less than 1% return rate on that mailing. That's where direct mail, or that's where donor acquisition costs really start to stretch an organization's budget. When you're networking through the people that already know you and love you and care for you, uh, your response rates are higher, which also makes your acquisition cost much less. Um, so find the ways that you can, you can uh, network your way through the people who, who care about you. At every board meeting, you should be asking board members to bring at least the name of three people that they think should be invited, um, if not hosting a gathering and, and doing other things. If you've got a development council, they should be bringing names. They should be inviting folks. They, you know, we're, we're, we need to get into other people's networks. No staff person on your staff has a network large enough to get the acquisition of new donors you need. This is where volunteers come in and the strongest organizations are those that use their volunteers uh, to, to share networks and, and to get into that. And sometimes it's kind of fun. You, you get people that'll say, well, you know, Sarah hit me up for this organization. So it's time to go back to Sarah to get her gift. And there's a little competition among donors to make sure they stay even with one another. Um, and I think all's fair in, in love and fundraising. Uh, and then uh, you're able to, you know, you're able to tell your story and keep that donor afterwards where people feel like it was a privilege and it wasn't, you know, that they were forced to make a gift. We're, we're giving an invitation and, but we've got to keep looking at that. Yeah. And I think the thing that I hear and language that I know you and I both use um, quite often is a join me culture. Um, it being an invitation and a join me and not, not a position where we have people saying you should. And, and I, I think, we're in a, we live sometimes in a world of you shoulds or they shoulds or why don't they? Um, but when we're creating an environment and a community of donors who are truly a part of our organization, asking them to join us in something that we're already doing is the, is what I believe the, the best way to acquire. So thanks for that. That's great. Um, now <laughs> question number three, um, we've acquired them. How do we keep them? It's a circle, right? I mean, we don't want to lose that 55% that you're talking about. So how do we keep them? So, you know, I'm going to give you a few things. It's not a formula, but, but it's a, it's a few ideas to keep in mind. And I think the first thing that I would say is even before you acquire the donor, figure out how you're going to retain them. Like, does your organization, do you have a first time donor welcome package? You know, not just a not just a thank you letter, but but do you have a strategy that a first time gift gets a phone call, a handwritten letter, and the official thank you letter, or something else that you know a, a storybook about you know the organization and the impact it's making, or you know how what do you do when you get a first time donor? And I hope it's I hope it's something significant that's been thought out, and so focus on that retention before you even start acquiring because. If you don't, if you don't have, if you don't have a follow-up process in place when you acquire them, it's going to take you too long, and they're going to figure you didn't really care about their gift in the first place. Second thing, it just 
follow up and get to know them. Like one of my favorite activities was to call people and say, you just made a gift and I don't know why. And I'd love to hear your story. That is my uh, favorite call. I think there is never a bad day when you get to make that call. And, and by the way, you're not too busy to do, to, to not do that. So, um, and, and it's fun. It <laughs> you, is fun. You know, um, or to say, Hey, you came, you came to the event at Bill and Sarah's house and you made a gift. It was great to meet you. And I just love to hear why you decided to make the gift. You know, I mean, those are great calls to make and you're beginning then to build your relationship with them. And then I think it's also kind of nice. Um, my memory sometimes isn't great, but my ability to write something on my calendar is not bad. And so I make the call and then a month later, I, I write, you know, in my calendar to send another follow-up kind of note that I'm still thinking about them and caring about them. And I appreciate their gift and what their gift is doing. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite tactics too, is to say, okay, I just talked to this person and put them on my tickler um, on my calendar to make sure that I'm checking in with them. You know, I, I think truly, Mike, everything that you've just said in this question, number three is about making deposits, having a process for making deposits into the lives of our donors so that they know that we're paying attention, that we know that they know that we're grateful and that their gift matters, that it's right. making a difference. Um, and I've always found um, the best way to maintain and, and retain donors is by making sure that they know that their gift matters and that it's making a difference. Yeah, I think it's important to make sure they know that you didn't just move on to the next person because you already got their gift. A lot, donors can kind of feel that and, and know when that's happening. So yeah, it's about that impact, not not the numbers. I mean, you can give people numbers, but tie it into the impact that you're doing because the numbers don't matter outside of the impact that you're having. Yeah, uh, that's great. one of my favorite things to say is, you know, treat treat donors like people. Yes, <laughs> you know? they are people. How, how would you like to be treated? And just treat them like people. And finally, uh, I had the I had the uh, beauty of a sabbatical back in 2007, and I studied loyalty at the D Disney Institute and remember clearly the number one factor for creating loyalty is to make that emotional connection. Mm -hmm. um, and that happens, that doesn't happen, you know, hidden behind a letter. It happens as you develop a relationship and as you're sharing stories of impact. And that's the why the donor wanted to make the gift. And that's what the organization did to make an impact with that gift. So it's sharing the stories, it's sharing the impact, um, you know, and, and, and as we talk about loyalty, we want that loyalty to be to the institution, not to the development officer, not to the CEO. The loyalty is to the impact the institution is making and, and, and living out because that donor belongs to the organization once acquired. And, and we want them to continue giving long beyond our service uh, there. And that emotional connection if it happens with the organization, once acquired, that donor will stick with that organization in a an above average way. And, and we've got a chance to grow them to the ultimate gift of a planned gift or, or legacy gift, however that might come about for that individual. So, so those are the things I wanna do once we've, uh, once we've acquired donors. I, I like to keep them because, oh, that's where they make their bigger impact and, and they, yeah. You know, that's where you get to know them and they impact your life as well as the one that's that's working with them to continue to care about the organization. Yeah. And I just want to add one more tactic on there for our listeners, too, so that they can just have another actionable. One of the um, things I found most successful in an organization is once a new donor does come in, 
they are they're added to all the lists where impact stories are going to reach them. Um, if you're sending impact stories through social media, if you're sending them through emails, if you're sending them through something printed, once you have that first donor, especially a donor, you didn't, I mean, you may have prospects on that list, but a donor you weren't expecting, you need to make sure that they're on those lists and that they're getting those impact stories. Great. So um, excellent content as always, Mike. Um, every time I talk to you, I feel like I learned something new. Um, so I hope our listeners are feeling that way as well. Um, any recaps, like a one takeaway recap from this that you want to share just to tie it all in for us? Well, the, the very first thing I would do is I would look at my data I'd benchmark what our current trend is. What's your current trend for acquisition? What's your current trend for loss? And then create your intentional strategy to start securing new donors and have a goal. <laughs> you know, Perfect. Um, it, it, you need a, if you're going to achieve anything, you need a goal to work towards. So benchmark where you're at, create your strategy, set your goal, and then start working it. And I would dare to say, be audacious because the more audacious you are to reach that goal, the better you're going to treat your donors and you're going to get there. So it's a circle, right? Okay. So friends, thanks for being here today. It's been a lot of fun, Mike. Thanks for being with us. We really appreciate it. Um, that's all the time we have for today. But remember um, that you can join the Center for Generosity where we will help you maintain accountability focus. We'll provide you tools and plans to grow generosity to your organization. You have an impact. So let's make sure the world knows about that impact through your story so that they can support your mission as well. With a monthly subscription to the center, you get exclusive access to regular roundtable discussions with folks like Mike and others you're gonna hear on the podcast. You also get access to office hours with them. So if you're dealing with something during the week and you just need to bounce it off of somebody, um, that's a great way to pop in and do that. You'll have ongoing access to documents and videos that train and outline best practices, really important best practices for CEOs, development officers, volunteers, and board members. We are also launching special programs for a list of those. And to join, you can visit um, centerforgenerosity.com. We'll add that in the show notes. Um, if you're listening to this during September and you join during September, you'll also get a free month. So we hope you'll check it out. Next time, we will gather back here September the 7th with Jenny Smith, who is a GSB consultant. She's going to talk to us about moves management and have some actionable items for us that day as we tackle the three most critical questions for moves management. So see you then. Thanks, listeners.